0: If we were to allow the free market to take its course now, it would almost certainly lead to disorderly bankruptcy and liquidation for the automakers.
1: Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson at NPR Global Worldwide Headquarters in New York City. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and I'm David Kestenbaum in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, as far as I know. Uh, it's Friday, December 19th, a little bit before 4 p.m. Adam, do you have our planet
1: money indicator to start with? I do. There's only one to choose from, I really think. $17.4 billion. You know what that is? That is the size of the loan to the auto industry. Here is what I want to know, and I am willing to bet there's going to be a book written. This week, the debates in the White House yeah I mean, literally, it was like all of capitalism was on trial over how this bailout is going to be run will there be Will the government actually tell the car companies how to work? What demands will the government force the car companies to give? Will there be this carzar? Turns out there won't be a Karzhar, although there will be someone overseeing the government effort. Is that now, sort of Henry Paulson the Karzhar now? Yeah, I guess. Um, it, well, there's – yeah, I mean there's going to be someone, I guess at Treasury. I actually didn't see where they'd be, who's going right. to oversee the money. But it just – to me, it is just a fascinating week. You know, should we force them to go – you know, President Bush saying, well, I kind of want them to go through the normal process of bankruptcy, but then, ah, it, it doesn't work right now. It, it's just – every week for the last few months has been fascinating this one whatever those discussions behind the scenes were i i'm i'm hoping that we're going to have a leak fest one day and we can really hear what it was like as as you know in yet another major way capitalism was redefined you know, I thought actually it'd be fun after this whole thing
2: passes and when all the people from the current administration start to leave, we should just start to grab them, bring them into the studio and we we'll do a whole series of
1: podcasts. I Let's do it. Yes, absolutely. And um, I, I do, you know, I remember being in Iraq between 2003 and 2004 and there's all this secret stuff happening and major developments and we didn't know what was going on. And now I, you know, I can't read all the books that tell you everything that was happening behind closed doors. There's so much information now, and I assume that'll be the case in three or four years. And and honestly, I can't wait.
2: And actually, what we have for you next on the podcast is an example of what was going on behind closed doors
1: at a really interesting time in this crisis. Right. David, you actually did this. I mean, I'm talking about three or four years from now. You did it three or four weeks after it happened. Um, we made a promise uh, on this podcast to to, um, uh, to follow up on something that we were the first to report. Uh, back in September, Congress was wrestling with whether, with whether or not to do this huge bailout bill at all. And the main plan, the Henry Paulson plan, was to buy up toxic assets, to buy up all these junk subprime things. And we here at Planet Money were talking to a lot of economists at that time, and they kept telling us, that's a bad idea. Don't buy the toxic assets. It's too complicated. It isn't going to solve the problem. They had a better idea, stock injection, which is a fancy way of saying the government would buy stock in banks. It's a way for the government to directly get money to banks so that the banks are stronger and the system will be more stable. It's much easier. It's much more straightforward. It's better for the taxpayer than that toxic asset plan. So we were going into the week that that bill was passed believing that there was a good plan and there was a worse plan. And Congress was doing the worst plan, the toxic asset plan, not the stock injection plan, that that was not in the bill. Then at the very last minute, I got word that stock injection was in there. Um, we first revealed that on this podcast. We were the first media outlet to tell the world that stock injection was allowed. And I know I keep showing off every time we mention it, but I'm really proud because, hey, we broke a big story and we're only too, like three months too. old. Yeah, So um, here's a conversation I had with Ira Glass about it on the show, This American Life. Until last night, you and I are talking Friday morning at, uh, at 11.20. At 11.20, we're waiting for the House to vote. Until last night, Thursday, I and everyone, I, all the experts I talked to, all the people on Capitol Hill... We're under the impression the stock injection plan was simply not on the table. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you and I worked late last night. I was in in a cab on the way home. I got a call from a guy I know who's pretty well connected right around midnight, and he told me, guess what? The stock injection plan is in the Senate bill that was passed, and it's in the House bill. I woke up this morning. And I still could barely believe it. I've been calling around. It, it was very—it was kind of a dramatic morning. The first few people I called said, no, that's ridiculous. There's no way that could have gotten in. That's impossible. Over the course of the morning, I got more and more confirmation. And basically what happened is someone, and we still don't know who, put in very subtle language into the Senate bill that gives this as an option to the Treasury Secretary. The, the, there's still the main plan, which is buying the crappy assets. That's still the core idea. But the Treasury Secretary has as an option, at his discretion, the ability to do this other plan, the one that many economists prefer, the stock injection plan. So I think it's important to point out
2: that this was a really critical moment in history, because we know now that Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson completely changed his mind 180 degrees, and he decided to do the stock injection plan. And there are people out there who will say that this is the reason why we did not have financial collapse. But
1: Paulson would not have been able to do it. I mean, Paulson does not write laws. The the ability to do the stock injection for the government to buy stock in banks had to be in the bill. And that turns out to be a complicated thing, David. You were trying to figure out... How did it get in the bill at the very last minute, sort of without almost anybody noticing? Right. So here is the full story as we understand it. And
2: it begins the night of September 18th. It was a Thursday. And it takes in the office of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. And this is an emergency meeting, right? This is top lawmakers with Henry Paulson and Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke. And one of the lawmakers there brings up, actually brings up the idea of stock injection. And his name is Spencer Backus. He's actually a Republican. So he's going against the plan his party has laid out. And he he told me that the whole event was just totally surreal.
3: They were saying that if we didn't do something, the markets could collapse and then we had to approve a plan before the opening of the Asian markets on Monday.
2: The Treasury Department wanted to buy up the toxic mortgage-backed assets that were clogging the system. But many economists felt there was a much better option, and Backus brought it up. Buy stock in banks. It would be fast and efficient. It would keep the banks from going under. But Backus' own party got frustrated with him.
3: I felt at times I was like the skunk at the wedding.
2: The idea might have died, but it had another supporter, his Democratic counterpart, Barney Frank, who chairs the Financial Services Committee. Frank says he always wanted Treasury to have the option of buying stock, but Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson resisted. We kept saying
4: and you're gonna have in there that you're gonna buy equity. Hank for some reason said at one point it was well okay, but do you have to say that. For some reason, he was nervous about saying it. We said, yeah, well, we, you know, we're trying to pass a bill. We can't play games with people. We've got to say it.
2: The Treasury Department says the financial markets were fragile and it didn't want to send a confusing message. But if you flip through the 450-page bailout bill now, you could be excused for not finding the place where it says it's OK to buy stocks, because the language is vague. The story of how things got clarified begins with a phone call made to Virginia Democratic Congressman Jim Moran. The phone call was from legendary investor George Soros. Actually, Moran says Soros's friends cleared the way first.
0: They asked if it would be okay if Mr. Soros called me. I told them I'd be flattered uh, because I read his books and I, and I have a great deal of respect for him. And he did call and he explained exactly why
2: he thought the Treasury
0: program was going to fail.
2: It got too late to change the actual language in the bill. So Moran asked Barney Frank for a moment, just a moment on the House floor, to have what's called a colloquy.
0: Most of the time what we do on the floor is a monologue. basically speaking to our constituents, assuming somebody's listening out there. But when we have a colloquy, we share what we're going to say. It's kind of
2: scripted. Okay, we're going to play the entire historic exchange right here. I yield
4: a minute and a half to the gentleman from Virginia, Mr. Moran, for purposes of a colloquy. The
2: gentleman from Virginia is recognized for a minute and a half.
4: Thank you, Madam Speaker, and I won't take that
0: much time. I do want to thank the chairman for his masterful leadership on this bill. And I do want to clarify that the intent of this legislation is to authorize the Treasury Department to strengthen credit markets by infusing capital into weak institutions in two ways, by buying their stock, debt, or other capital instruments, and two, by purchasing bad assets from the institutions, in coordination with existing regulatory agencies and their responsibilities under this legislation, as well as under already existing authorization for prompt corrective action and least cost
4: resolution. Mr. Chairman, you want to affirm that? The gentleman yield? I'd be happy to yes. yield. I, I can affirm that, as the gentleman knows, The Treasury Department is in agreement with this, and we should be clear, this is one of the things that this House added to the bill and the Senate, the authority to buy equity. It is not simply buying up the assets. It's to buy equity, and to buy equity in a way that the federal government will be able to benefit if there is an appreciation. I thank the gentleman for this important clarification. He is absolutely right. Nice going, Chairman. Thank you.
2: So that made it crystal clear that the Treasury Department was allowed to buy stock in banks. I should say that Congressman Barney Frank disagrees with Jim Moran that that colloquy was actually necessary. He thinks it's clear enough in the legislation. Barney Frank told me he doesn't understand why everyone was so surprised after the fact that that provision was actually in the bill. And it, it actually seems like a real sore point with him.
4: I mean, I, you're operating under a misapprehension. Spencer raised it from day one. We said that's going to be part of it.
2: Okay, I just mean I think the impressions of the general public and well, that's you know,
4: because frankly you guys gave it a bad impression,
2: well, and that's what Treasury was out there saying they were going to do, you know
4: fine, but we I, I how many more times can I tell you
2: Oh no, I, I am These not a...
4: always explicit that it was both that this was one of the options.
2: I don't mean to argue with you. I'm, I mean, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying the public impression was one. And I think members of Congress... you are in charge thought, of yeah.
4: public impressions, not me. I mean, I, <laughs> I can't help what, they, what, what the media did or didn't report.
2: Okay, okay. Uh, how do you feel you about it now? talked
4: about a in the floor of the House. How much more public can I be?
2: So that's Barney Frank's view. But Congressman Spencer Backus, who brought up the idea originally, he did think the final bill wasn't very clear.
4: My
3: language was, was less vague, okay? okay? My language was not vague. But they did work with our staff in including that. And that was one of the things that I believe they included sort of to shut me up. Okay? (laughs) I mean, I think that's probably the bottom line. And I think Barney and some others will tell you that. Now, the president did praise me, you know, in his announcement. He said, but I think it was just like, hey, we've made this guy happy.
2: Spencer Backus and Congressman Jim Moran, who gave the colloquy, say they don't think that many members of Congress actually realized this was in the bill they were voting on. Actually, if you look at the video from during the colloquy, most of the seats in the audience are completely empty. Uh, Jim Moran says he was frankly surprised when Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson reversed course entirely and decided to actually use the provision. Well,
0: I, I remember seeing him uh, speak on cable news, and I said, well, gosh, I'll be darned. He's <laughs> Not only is he going to take us up on this suggestion, but it sounds like this is going to be the whole thrust of the program. So I was a little surprised. I, I thought, you know, they'll do a little bit of each, but uh, they decided that, uh, you know, they of uh, apples and oranges, you know, and then they decided, well, let's just fill the whole basket up with apples.
2: I went over to the Treasury Department to talk to Michelle Davis about this. She is the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Public Affairs. Henry Paulson, the secretary, actually kept coming in to ask her something, and I think he was also grabbing some of the M&Ms that were sitting outside the office there. Davis sat in some of the critical meetings when the bailout legislation was being crafted, and she confirmed the basic details to me. She says the Treasury Department did not like the idea of buying bank stock. And it still really doesn't.
1: The secretary has said over and over again, you know, government ownership of any private company is abhorrent. And it's, it's the last, it's a last resort. I mean, he made very clear, even during the hearings, we do not want to be like Japan. We do not want the government taking over banks and trying to figure out who gets a loan. Government's not good at those kinds of things.
2: In the end, of course, the Treasury Department decided it needed that last resort. Treasury has now spent $168 billion buying preferred stock in banks. And Michelle Davis says that when people ask her, how does Treasury have the authority to do that? She refers them to that colloquy on the House floor that lasted about 70
1: seconds. David, that was an awesome piece. Now, can you do your next story about the behind-the-scenes maneuvering for this auto bailout bill this week? <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, what I, I was
2: thinking when I was over there and, and Henry Paulson was grabbing those M&Ms that that's probably what he was working on at the time.
1: Was the auto bailout. Was, <laughs> yeah, that's what fueled the auto bailout. Did you see what color M&Ms? Were they peanut? I playing? think they were
2: Christmas. They were Christmas colored. Green
1: and Red. Great. All right. That is a wrap for Planet Money today. Thank you so much for listening. Please uh, visit our blog, npr.org slash money. We're going to be on adjusted schedule next week because you, David, are on vacation. Alex is on vacation. Caitlin's on vacation. I'm going to take a few days off, so just two podcasts next week. We'll be back in full force the week after. Thank you for listening. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm David Kastenbaum.